T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to At Your Service. Uh, Brad Young in with you for another hour. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. We always obviously appreciate that. And uh, if you like what you hear, you can hear it anytime you want on the Odyssey app. Download it. Install it. It's free. And you'll love it. Trust me. It works very, very well. Uh, During the break. We have a lot of great conversations during the break, and one of them is uh, is that Sean Michael Lyle came in. Of course, you always hear him doing the news, but he came in to talk about the Ambien because I told that story about me being on Ambien, and uh, and Sean, I wanted to welcome you in here because uh, when you were a reporter in California, yes. You you had some experience with Ambien, not like personally. Not, maybe, yeah, I've never <laughs> I've never taken it. I only knew it by the uh, by the commercials on TV, of course. Sure, you know, and that's where you hear about Ambien. Uh, but I was uh, I was uh, covering a, an election of a city council in Bakersfield, California, and on a Monday they uh, swore in the uh, council members. Had a beautiful little ceremony, mm-hmm. and the next Tuesday was going to be the uh, the first city council meeting for the newly seated members. And uh, a councilman who had won election named Jeff Tack, uh, he shot himself to death. Mm. And everyone was stunned because what would, you know, this guy was as clean as a whistle. Everybody had known him for many years. There was nothing to assume that he would ever commit suicide. And as it turned out, what his wife said was that he needed some sleep. He took an Ambien. And while he was under the influence of Ambien, he took a gun. And killed himself mm. without apparently even knowing it. No. So I did stories uh, where I talked to doctors about Ambien, and they said, yeah, uh, that's not surprising is what they said. Uh, to, wow. The, the one that really stood out, a uh, doctor told me, was that uh, the, he had a patient who had taken Ambien, and that when he woke up after a good night's sleep, he went out to the garage, and there were boxes of cereal torn open around the the mm-hmm. the uh, garage and he thought some animal or something got into it his wife comes out and says no that was you hmm. she found him sitting in the middle of the garage tearing open boxes of cereal stuffing cereal into his mouth wow all while on ambien all while on ambien because before i had my own ambien experience there was a story that one of the kennedys one of the members of the kennedy family had been arrested for what they thought was DUI. It was in Washington D.C. and he got pulled over. He hit a couple of cars and and uh, and claimed later. He said, "Well, I didn't even know 
uh, what I was doing because I was on Ambien. Now, before I took it, I got to tell you, my my skepticism was uh, was on eleven on a scale of one to ten. Yes, yeah. I thought, oh come on, you remember the Kennedy family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, you know, you've been drinking since you Chappaquiddick, were two. Right. Uh, you, <laughs> they start them early drinking in the Kennedy family, and uh, and there's just no way that you would be on Ambien and wouldn't you know it? But but then there was that incident with Roseanne Barr. Yeah. And what happened with Roseanne Barr? Well, she uh, she did some uh, text that I I think I can't remember exactly what I think it may have been homophobic or something like that but she had uh, a text that uh, that may or may not have been ambient related it wasn't so outrageous i know that the people uh they didn't like the fact that she was a friend of donald trump so they wanted to find something to fire her about uh but uh, yeah she got she got fired over that now the doctor that i talked to who talked about how ambient works and there again i'm not a doctor mm-hmm. but um the way it ambient works is is that it it kind of uh it's like a jumper for the part of your brain that makes you sleep. So like what happened to you, that that jumper was still in place. And even though you were up and functional, Mm -hmm. that jumper that said you were asleep was still there. So all the memories and everything that you would normally have weren't there. You were still, that part of your head was asleep, even though you were (sighs) functioning normally. How scary is that? And and of course, like this uh, this uh, councilman Jeff Tack, there's I, I can't imagine what was going on that made him think to do that. Or even the person who was hungry, I think I'll go sit out in the garage and tear open boxes of cereal. Right, it's not rational like it. at all. It's not rational whatsoever. But I, on my experience, I had I had walked through the Dallas airport, apparently had a meal, changed planes. Walked with my wife to find the correct gate. You know, zero memory. Right. Don't remember anything. Don't remember the flight. Don't remember getting on. Remember nothing except when my alarm went off the next morning. Yeah. So uh, that that con- that jumper between your your uh, conscious mind and your subconscious mm-hmm. apparently, uh, you know, it it continued to jump over that. Wow. Well, even if Roseanne Barr wasn't on Ambien, I don't know whether she was or wasn't, but. That's now the the uh, excuse extraordinaire. You know, now, if you do anything, the, she that's what she said. It was an ambient <laughs> moment. Hey, that's the ambient talking. And yeah, yeah and they, you try to use that as an excuse, and it had been used. My arm fell off here. Oh wow! It, not not arm, literally. The, the arm of the chair. That explains why the blood is squirting here well, in the studio. Yeah, yeah. B see, and... it, see this arm <laughs> must have taken ambient or something. Well, you know, for it. years, uh, and we even talked about this when I was in law school. There was the the dreaded Twinkie defense. The uh, Twinkie, where, yeah. The, the Twinkie defense, where someone claimed that they weren't responsible for committing a crime because they ate too many Twinkies, they had a sugar imbalance, yeah. and they weren't responsible. The Twinkie defense didn't work very well. Yeah, that was the Harvey Milk uh, kill and and uh, George Moscone. Yeah, that, that and that didn't work out so, so well. Well, yeah, because the uh, the supervisor who, uh, the San Francisco supervisor who killed them, uh, White, I forgot his name. Mike White, David White, Mike, I think it was Mike White, the one who killed him, he claimed that he had been stuffing Twinkies and that he <laughs> was, it was kind of similar to the ambient thing. So he killed Mayor George Moscone yeah. and uh, and then um, um, Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk. Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, but the ambient defense, that, that might have some legs on that. Well, you know, it's, it's things happen when, the, when your brain short circuits. Right. Strange things can happen. I mean, we just had that incident today where apparently there was some sort of mental illness at at the Schnooks, yes. uh, North City Schnooks, and and the uh, the guy attacked the uh, the, security the security guard, guard. and the mm-hmm. guard had to defend himself, and the guy was not being rational whatsoever. No, not at all. It not happens. At all. Well, Sean, thank you so much sure for joining us. It's great to talk to you. Not just to hear you at the top of the hour, but it's great to chat with you. Thanks, yeah, sorry so. I broke your chair.
Oh, that's all right. It's it, it's not mine. My name is not Odyssey. So uh, you did <laughs> you did not break my chair in any way. Not 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 at all. Hey, when we come back, uh, one of the stories that I want to get to this evening is uh, is about this Minneapolis school district because they've got something in their contract that to me is outrageous. And I don't know why this isn't getting more attention. I'll break that down for you after the break. Brad Young, at your service, KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The Minneapolis School District, uh, the, the teachers' union has just signed off on a policy uh, telling administrators how to run their schools, just like any school district. But there's a clause in here that it just, it, there, there's a legal term called shocks the conscience of the court. And it means it's so outrageous that it has to be struck down. And to me, this is one of those. And I want to see what you think about it and make sure that it's not just me over overreacting. But in this district policy, in Minneapolis, it specifically states that if there's any layoff, if there's any firing, if there's any reduction of workforce among the teaching staff at the at the Minneapolis school district, whites are prioritized in the laying off or the reallocation of staff. So in other words, it's not it, it interrupts the the traditional system of merit and seniority that we see in so many areas of employment, first hired, last fired. Uh, that's true in almost every union. I grew up in a household where my dad was a uh, was a coal miner. He was in the labor union, the coal miners union. And if you had enough seniority, I mean, you were there forever. You could never be let go. And, of course, there's some problems with that uh, because guys would do crazy, silly stuff. And when they did, they had seniority and they couldn't get fired. So there's problems with that system as well. But this system in Minneapolis, specifically and according to the language of the contract, prioritizes the laying off or the reallocation of white teachers before any teachers of color. So I guess on its face, and I'm not trying to be making a pun here, but doesn't that just strike you as being wrong? Well, here's what the... Here's what the uh, the PR person for the school district said, and I'm quoting, To remedy the continuing efforts of past discrimination, Minneapolis Public Schools and the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers 
mutually agreed to contract language that aims to support the recruitment and retention of teachers from underrepresented groups as compared to the labor market and to the community served by the school district. Now, that's exactly that's a quote from their spokesperson. So, in other words, their, their, their argument here, their legal argument is, is that people of color are underrepresented in among teachers. So if we want to attract and keep people of color as teachers, then we have to specify that when there's a layoff, when there's a reduction in workforce, or there's any elimination of teaching positions, white teachers have to be fired first, and people of color then have automatic seniority and can't be fired as a way to attract and to get uh, a diversity, a racial diversity among the teachers. That's the argument. And to me, as, as an attorney, that just strikes me as being, uh, and I use the phrase uh, shocks the conscience, but when I read this story uh, yesterday, I was stunned by this because I deal all the time with companies. I do employment law. That's my area of practice. And, and I deal in situations where a company might be being accused of racial discrimination when in reality they aren't. And I've been in situations where I've defended companies that had questionable policies that made sense and they, they weren't discriminating, uh, discriminatory on their face, but they were interpreted and applied in a discriminatory manner. But I've never in my career seen any company or organization have a de facto discriminatory policy and be proud of it and brag about it because the school district of Minneapolis is simply stating, listen, if you're a white teacher and we have a reduction in workforce, you are the first one that gets fired. You're the first one that gets fired. And they're open about it. It's not even a neutral policy that is applied in a discriminatory manner. It is discriminatory in how it's written and how it's applied, and that's by design. It's not an accident. It's not a misapplication. It is by design. So I just looked through a couple of the materials that I use on a regular basis to show you exactly how discriminatory that is. I mean, under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that's that's the biggie. That's the That was the largest legal reformation of laws in this country to stop what was on its face. Again, that's the term that's used, but it was open and obvious discrimination against African-Americans. And that is the bedrock legally of efforts to peel back racial discrimination in our country. And it specifically states that it prohibits employment discrimination based upon race. That's the first word under the title rights uh, the title 7 of the civil rights act it prohibits employment discrimination based on race well isn't that exactly what the minneapolis school district is saying that if you're white we're going to discriminate against you you may have been here for 30 years you may be an award winning teacher you may have been the teacher of the year 5 times in a row but we've got to lay somebody off and pal you're white you're the first one to go so that's discrimination. That's not pretextual. That's de facto discrimination. Under the Civil Rights Act of 1991, it specifically, among other things, it provides monetary 
damages in cases of intentional employment discrimination. That's under the Civil Rights Act of 1991. And isn't that what this is? Isn't this an example of intentional employment discrimination? And you may say, well, no, I mean, they're not really stopping the hiring. They're not stopping the hiring of white teachers. They're just talking about in the event there's a layoff, this is how we will do it. But also under Title VII, that Civil Rights Act of 1964, it actually defines what illegal discrimination is. And it says it is illegal to discriminate in any aspect of employment, including, quote, hiring and firing, unquote. And it goes on to state, quote, transfer, promotion, layoff, or recall, unquote. Well, again, that specifically describes What's going on in the school district of Minneapolis? And under these laws, and again, I looked under some more of the of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and it also prohibits discrimination that includes harassment on the basis of race. Harassment on the basis of race. Well, doesn't, again, that describe what's going on in Minneapolis? And so... I guess my problem with this, in addition to what I've already said, is that the teachers' union in Minneapolis is okay with that. They're okay with that. They're okay and comfortable. In fact, they modified the contract to agree to that. So that means there are are teachers who signed off on this because any amendment to an employment contract has to be ratified by the rank and file. That would be the teachers. So they voted for that. And it, it just strikes me, whether you're, whether you're uh, African-American, whether you're Caucasian, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, but shouldn't that strike a chord in your heart that says, we're voting for a contract that intentionally discriminates on the basis of race? I mean, why doesn't that have a, a knee-jerk reaction in that school district to say, this isn't something that we should agree to? We are trying to legalize racial discrimination in the 21st century, in the 21st century. Now, one of the things that I hear, and, and I've talked with lots of teachers on this point, and, and, I've, and I've had the argument, I've had the debate, I've had the discussion, that it's important to have a racial diversity. It's important to have diversity in the workforce. I completely agree, 100% agree. But you know what also is important isn't just racial diversity. How about intellectual diversity? You know, no one ever talks about intellectual or philosophical diversity. But why is that any less important than racial diversity? If you go on any college campus in America and you take a poll as to those, the university teachers, professors, and administrators on where they are politically— What what do you think the results of that poll would be? Well, we know. We've seen poll after poll over the past decades that show that academia is around 92 to 95 percent far left. And I'm not talking about uh, a kind of left. I'm not talking about Nicole Galloway left. I'm talking about AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren left. That's where they are in academia today. So if you're so concerned about diversity, why aren't you so concerned about intellectual diversity? If you go to Facebook today and go into the Facebook management, 
Who are those people supporting? Who are those people supporting? It's 100% left. Now, it's a private company. Feel free to do it. But why do they not recognize the importance of intellectual diversity when they're so focused on racial diversity? Mary Lynn texted in and said, the liberals don't get it, Brad. It's wrong on their part. And it is. But I think it's just a, a failure of so many on the left to understand that intellectual diversity is as important as is racial diversity. Not more, but not less either. It's equally important. And I wish that the Minneapolis school district would understand that when they voted for that contract, they were voting in favor of discrimination. And why didn't anyone realize that or tell them that? To me, it's baffling. And I would love to have a conversation with the folks that voted for that contract to see if they really understand what they were voting for, or was it just the union saying, here's the amendment to the contract, vote yes. And they had no idea, no idea what they were voting for. I would love to have a conversation with those folks. Hey, we got to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk because we're talking about discrimination. There's a discrimination case at the Supreme Court next term that you will want to follow. Stick around. We'll talk about that next at your service. Boy, this uh, this past uh, term at the Supreme Court, it was a real snoozer, wasn't it? You know, nothing happened, nothing big, nothing important, just a regular run-of-the-mill. Oh, by the way, we overturned Roe versus Wade. So it was a huge term at the court, and actually, I don't think that was the most important decision. At the, at the court this term. I, I From my perspective, the biggest decisions were several, including voting or, or uh, rejecting the vaccine mandate and rejecting uh, the, the FAA, those types of mandates, because it reinforced the idea that our federal government has limited powers. And the left so often forgets that that the federal government has limited powers. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm not anti-mask. But I am anti-tyranny. And when a government acts beyond the powers that we, the people, have given that government institution, that, my friends, is the very definition of tyranny. And we're going to see in the next court session, there's a lot of great cases, and probably when I'm on next week, I'll break down some of the other cases for you. But since I've been talking about discrimination with regard to the, the Minneapolis school district, I wanted to mention this this case. And I've talked about this in the past when it was decided at the uh, Court of Appeals level, but it's called Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard. And in this case, in this case, basically some Asian American students sued Harvard and also sued the University of North Carolina on the basis that Asian Americans were excluded from consideration to go to Harvard because they were Asian Americans. That was the basis that they were refused admission. So just like the situation uh, in Minneapolis, when the teacher's contract specifically states that if you're white, you're the first one to get fired. Discrimination on its face. So here we've got at Harvard and we also have at the University of North Carolina policies that, although they're not written this way, they're implemented and applied in such a fashion that states if you're an Asian American, 
we're going to discriminate against you because we have too many Asian Americans at Harvard. We don't need any more. We we can't we don't we can't handle them. So even if you're academically qualified, we're going to discriminate against you because you are in fact an Asian American, which is discrimination, de facto discrimination. And what's interesting is when this case initially went to trial, the Boston Circuit Court, the district court in in Boston, ruled in Harvard's favor. There, there's no shock in that. What? There's a liberal judge in Boston? Wow, where, where did that guy come from? But he found as a matter of law that the discrimination only impacted, I'm quoting from the decision, affected only a small pool of Asian American students, unquote. So in other words, the court found that there was in fact discrimination going on at Harvard, but only since it only applied to a few Harvard students, I'm still going to rule in Harvard's favor. I don't even understand how a judge could rule that way to say, yep, I find there's discrimination, but, you know, it's not too bad. It's not all that bad. Uh, It would be akin to saying, well, all the blacks don't have to sit in the back of the bus, just several of them. And if they do that, that's okay. Of course, that's outrageous. Who would ever think that's okay? If you make any African-American sit in the back of the bus because of the race, it's wrong. And if you tell any Asian-American that they can't go to Harvard because you're Asian-American, it's wrong. So this case is going up to the Supreme Court next term. And when it gets up there, uh, I can promise you uh, that it will it will get a lot of headlines. It will get a lot of headlines. And I'm glad that it will because, as as Chief Justice John Roberts said, in a decision several years ago, the way to stop discriminating on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. It sounds simplistically truistic. How's that for a phrase? But that's exactly what it is. It's very simple. If you want to stop discriminating, then stop discriminating. But what we see from so much of the left today isn't that the left is against discrimination. They're in favor of discrimination as long as it is the correct form of discrimination. That, to me, is outrageous. Now, someone just texted in and said, you march out of that studio now. Well, is that a threat? I don't know. Are you telling me to stop talking? Because I would much rather you call up instead of texting me to leave the studio. I would much rather you call up and tell me and discuss with me why my position is wrong. That is that marketplace of ideas, my friend. And and the person texted again and said, leave it to the producer to cover up your disappearance. Well, obviously you don't like what I'm saying, which is fine. But I would much rather you call me and tell me why you disagree with what I'm saying. Because my argument essentially boils down to this. No one should be discriminated against because of their racial ethnicity. No one. And I defy anyone to take an opposite opinion and say, oh, no, 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 it's okay to discriminate against someone based upon race. Because that's what you're saying if you're a teacher in Minneapolis. That's what you're saying if you're in the Harvard's admission department at Harvard University. You're saying it's okay to discriminate on the basis of race as long as we don't do the wrong kind of discrimination. 
And I don't understand how you sleep at night with that kind of an opinion. So just as in this term, the left and the media, well, I'm being redundant, but the left and the mainstream media, they went apoplectic when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. My goodness, how could you overturn all of that law that went back all the way to 1972? Well, folks, I promise you that some of those justices at the Supreme Court, they've got shoes that were bought before 1972. So it's not that long ago. But if the Supreme Court takes this case of students for fair admissions versus Harvard, if they take when when they take up this case, because they will, when that happens and they will rule, the Supreme Court will rule probably six to three or six to two, depending on which case, because Justice Ketanji uh, Brown, Jackson Brown, uh, will not be uh, not be deciding this one case with Harvard because she actually served on the board at Harvard, so she has to recuse herself. But when the Supreme Court overturns a case, what they will be doing is they're going to overturn a case that goes all the way back to 1978. It goes back to 1978. It's called uh, it's called Regents of University of California versus Bakke, and in that case. The court ruled that racial quotas were unlawful. In other words, you can't say that we have to have 10 percent of our our, of our students are African-American. Ten percent can be Asian-American of two percent can be Native American. Those are unlawful. But you can use racial quotas in the determination of who goes to university. So in other words, they say the court said in 1978 It's okay to discriminate a little bit. Just don't discriminate too much. That's what the court said. That's the Brad Young translation. So when the court rules in favor this next term of the fair admissions versus uh, Harvard, the the Asian-American student organization, when they do, when they do, the left will scream and howl because the, the case of 1978 Regents versus Baki will be overturned. And they're going to say this is just like Roe versus Wade. They're, the court is on a rampage. They're a radical activist court, and they're overturning these decisions. But when you hear that, just ask yourself, what is the left and the media arguing in favor of? They're arguing in favor of discrimination, my friends. That's what they're doing. And so I've got a, the, the text line is uh, exploding here, so I may not be able to read all of them. But one person texted in, 100% agree with you, Brad. Keep up the good work. And then another person texted in again, please leave the studio. So <laughs> I guess we have a whole, they we're running the gamut. We're running the gamut. And then the person who said leave the studio said, if you leave the studio, your ratings will skyrocket. Well, that's funny. I mean, I'll, I'll give you credit. For being inventive. That was me, by the way. Oh, that was you? Okay, (laughs) that was Matt. Matt, if you leave the studio, our ratings are going to skyrocket. But uh, thanks a lot, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, But but see, it's, it's easy. It's easy to text in and tell me that. And I do appreciate the texts. But I would really welcome a call on that point because it 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 puts it puts you in the unenviable position of saying discrimination is good. Discrimination is good, and uh, I just don't believe that. When I see that justice, that symbol of justice, holding the scales and justice is blindfolded, the reason is is because justice should not be divvied out on the basis of your racial ethnicity. Now, you could easily say 
but sure has happened in the past, and you are right. If you are a black person in the South and you are arrested for murdering a white person, you're going to get convicted. In the 1940s, you're going to get convicted. Was that right? No, it was not. No, it was not. But yet this year, this year, we found that courts in the South convicted uh, at least two, if not three, white men for killing a black man. And uh, I'm not commenting on whether they were innocent or not in, uh, guilty or innocent. That was up for the jury to decide. But my point is, is that shows you how far we've come. That if that would have happened 40 or 50 years ago, those guys would have probably been uh, acquitted. But in, in the 21st century, they were convicted. And so discrimination on the basis of race is wrong. And I just wish the left would encapsulate that. Hey, we've got more at your service. We've got one more segment. Thank you for sticking around with us this evening. We'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back to the last segment of the show this evening. And I want to bring back on Matt Pajeski because... uh, uh, there's a there's a study that came out today, and I, I'm a sucker for a good study. I I really am. And uh, the study I'm trying to see who came out with this study. It was it was commissioned by an online betting guide, uh, but it was conducted by a company called One Poll. I've I've read their polls before, and it says here that on average, the average person tells four lies per day. That's it. That's <laughs> that's it. Matt Pajeski. There you go, folks. Matt Pajeski. That's it. So you think you you think that's kind of low? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think humans tell little white lies or even exaggerations, you know, dozens of times a day. Not necessarily lies that hurt people or the lies that you know you might think of that mm-hmm. that ruin relationships or anything, but just like little white lies to enhance a story or something, or just for the sake of conversation that really have no impact on on you whatso whatsoever. Well, I, and I think you're right. And when I read that, I was if you're going to go by the literal definition of a lie, you're you're probably right. You're probably right that that's that's a little bit on the the low side. Because sometimes folks just have a problem being blunt. And and really, in, in social circles, that's kind of uncomfortable. I mean, if you went up to somebody and said, hey, you know, you look really fat in that dress. I mean, that that's a conversation stopper right there. Yeah. Uh, particularly if it's your spouse, <laughs> particularly if it's your significant other. I mean, that's, boom, that's a conversation stopper. So, uh, so you can't always be 100% uh, truthful. But... Uh, but this article goes on, and the polling data in here goes on to try to figure out how do we tell if folks are lying. So, Matt, if you're talking to somebody, what are some of the clues, or if you've ever thought about this, how do you kind of figure out if someone's not telling you the truth? If they don't make eye contact with you, mm-hmm. if they're kind of stumbling over their words or stuttering, uh, if they're maybe... Like if they've got a nervous habit, if they're like fiddling with their thumbs or doing some sort of some sort of tick where uh, yep. it's just that's called a tell. A tell. There you that's go. That's what yeah. that is. If you play a lot of poker, that's called a tell. Yeah. When people do that, I don't. I don't know what else. Well, actually, whenever I play poker, and I've done this a couple of times because uh, pre-COVID, I haven't done it after COVID, since COVID, but uh, 
Uh, I'd get together with a bunch of guys, usually other attorneys, and we'd play poker. And that's a good group of people to play poker with, all right? Because <laughs> it's fun. And so if I'm playing with poker with guys that I'm not used to playing poker with, I'll fake a tell. In other words, <laughs> I'll I'll start playing, and, and, and when I'm bluffing, I'll, like, scratch my face, and I'll keep doing it. So then I know they're looking at me, right? And so I'll keep scratching my face, and then I'm bluffing, I'm bluffing. And so then I'll scratch my face one time when there's a big pot. They'll think I'm bluffing, and then I'm not. Yeah, so, yes. you know, that's the way you kind of turn that on its on its head there. But you're right. The eye contact, in fact, uh, uh, psychologists, social people who study uh, human social interaction will tell you that the eye direction is one of the the most critical ways to tell if somebody's lying because the the favorite one is people look up and of course right. you, this is radio you can't see it but I'm looking up when I'm talking to Matt or they'll look to the side or they'll look down because they won't look right at you and that's and that's a tell because I depose people all the time and people lie to me all the time in a deposition yeah but the the cool thing though about in a deposition is and we've all seen lawyer shows where they they can they confront the witness and they say, well, here you were you lying then or are you lying now? Here's the evidence. But that's the great part about deposition. If somebody's lying to me, I just let them keep going because the more they lie, the better it gets for me. So I just keep it going. You know, come on, tell me some more lies. Tell me some more lies. But yeah, that eye concealment is is one of the best. The other is. Um, is is eyebrow shrugs. Now, this isn't one where, you know, people keep continuing messing with their eyebrows. Now, I don't know if they do like the rock thing where they raise one eyebrow. Hey, you're good at that. Uh, I don't know if that's one of them. Uh, but that but that looking at, uh, looking away, fiddling with an item, or touching their face or their nose is the t- one of the telltale signs of lying. Now, I want to get back to some of these texts because I've gotten several texts, and as I'm looking over them, uh, a lot of these I'm not going to be able <laughs> to read on the air because uh, the, the subject matter is such that I'm just, uh, I'm just not going to read it on the air. I will tell you that someone texted in and said, I love, you. I love it when you're on Camo X. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you can catch me every Wednesday or Thursday night, depending on the, college, or, uh, on the uh, Cardinal schedule. So thank you for that. But this text goes on to state that uh, this person had a friend in the early 80s who was applying to law school in California, and he experienced discrimination because he was a Caucasian male, and the law school wanted more females and Asian students. Yeah, that was the case in the 80s. I, that's that's when I got to, I went to law school. And I got to tell you, when I applied to law school in the 1980s, I was really concerned about that. I, I thought... I may not make it to law school because I'm a white male, even though my background is such that it's not like I came from privilege. Uh, My dad was a coal miner. I went to a small rural high school in southern Illinois. I'm the first member of my entire family to graduate from college of any college. Uh, And so it's not like I came from a privileged background, but yet that's the assumption. And that type of an assumption is just as heinous as saying, well, because someone is of, of a different color, then you must not be smart enough. That's heinous. That's awful to say something like that. But somehow we've 
we've drilled it into our heads that it's okay to discriminate people as long as it's the right kind of discrimination. So I'm glad folks are getting that concept and texting in about that. Thank you very much. But um, but that whole lying thing, yeah, don't don't try that. Don't try that at home in terms of lying to folks because if you're going to do it, you're going to get caught. Now, I guess it's okay to say you look great. Now, I I don't I don't say that. I, I don't tell somebody they look great when they don't. Um, I won't say anything. But I'm not going to say, hey, you're looking great there when you look like you've been hit by a truck, okay? I'm not. I'm never going to say that. But a lot of people apparently do. But uh, four times a day. Now, when asked, this this to me is interesting, Matt. You said you thought that number was kind of low, four times a day. Yeah. But that was the number that, uh, according to the poll, that people said that, that they lied four times a day. But when asked how many times a day are you lied to, the number was six. Yeah. So, of course, <laughs> of course, the, the number says, well, I might lie a little bit, but I don't lie as much as everybody else. Right. That, that's what that number is saying. So folks lie to me six times a day, but I only lie to other people four times a day. So I, I think that's uh, that's pretty funny. So what is the – Matt, people lie to you. What, what what lie do you ever hear to you? Do you have something that people say to you that you know is not true? Oh, I don't think so. I, I think people are pretty honest with me for the most part. At least well, I would sure hope so. I've had people tell me, Brad, you're not really bald. <laughs> <laughs> you heard Matt laugh at that one. Yeah. Yeah, I've been bald since I've been 19, man. I know I'm bald. Don't lie to me. I can handle the truth. I can handle it. And I'm glad that you can handle KMOX. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to stick around at 10 o'clock tonight, we've got the best of the Dave Glover Show coming up at 10 o'clock. So you're going to want to stick around for that. And, of course, you can catch that first hour of At Your Service on the Odyssey app, KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.